TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Financing. Congressional Town Hall. Discussing the coronavirus response with congressional members from across upstate New York. From the Hudson Valley and the Catskills, Representative Antonio Delgado. From the Capital District, Representative Paul Tonko. From the North Country, Representative Elise Stefanik. From the Mohawk Valley, Congressman Anthony Brindisi. Representing the Southern Tier and the Finger Lakes, Congressman Tom Reed. From the heart of Central New York, Representative John Katko. From the Rochester area, Congressman Joe Morelli. From the Buffalo area, Representative Brian Higgins. And good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us tonight. I'm Tim Lake in Albany, and we are broadcasting across New York State tonight as we enter day 38 now of New York Pause. Now, we are opening our virtual discussion with our elected representatives in Congress here in upstate New York, all of whom you see here with me tonight. Now, in an effort to maintain social distancing, we have arranged so they can join us to answer questions from the safety and the comforts of their own homes here in upstate New York. Now, we are broadcasting this on 15 TV stations across the state, also six radio stations and several websites in New York State, from western New York to the southern tier, the Catskills, through central New York, up into the north country, my home part of the state, and here in the capital region as well, and the Hudson Valley. Now, we think it's important for you to hear how your federal lawmakers are trying to help all New Yorkers. So, to set the stage today, the uh, new coronavirus has claimed the lives of more than 17,000 New Yorkers. And we are approaching 300,000 positive cases that are still pending across the state. But it appears now that things are leveling off. So we're entering a new phase of talking about more testing for people in upstate New York and the possibility of reopening. So our conversation tonight is with eight members of New York's congressional delegation, asking our questions, also asking your questions, all focused on how New York State will get through this pandemic, and we will eventually. And I should point out that the members have been working together on this legislation across party lines, trying to make things happen for all of us here in Upstate New York. So the first topic now is the recent $484 billion relief package, which was approved by Congress and then signed by President Trump just last week. The bill passed in the House 388 to 5. And I should mention that everyone here tonight, Republicans and Democrats, voted in favor of the bill. It boosts funding for small businesses, for hospitals, and for virus testing, which we need. 
So first of all, I want to thank all of you for joining us on our program tonight from your homes and from your own computers. And I ask you to please keep in mind that in your first segment, I ask you to keep your comments brief and then we'll extend our conversations as we go along in the hour. So let's start now with Capital Region Congressman Paul Tonko. Congressman Tonko, explain to us how this latest relief package will be helping all upstate New Yorkers. Well, thank you, Tim, for the opportunity. Yes, in that package that you just mentioned, there's $310 billion for the Paycheck uh, Protection Program. And what I had heard from countless small businesses in my district was their difficulty in accessing this program through um, big banks that seem to uh, uh, prioritize some of their largest clients. And so Democrats in the House fought really hard to ensure a $60 billion set aside, be part of that PPP money, so as to provide for community-based lenders, small banks, and credit unions to participate more actively in the program. We also uh, did a set-aside of some additional $60 billion, 50 in um, loans and 10 in grants that will go towards the disaster program within the uh, Small Business Assistance Network. Um, also, uh, through the objections of many, including the majority leader in the, state, in the United States uh, Senate, we were able to secure the $75 billion for hospitals, nursing homes, and healthcare facilities that uh, I believe is very important in enabling them to uh, protect the frontliners, our heroes as they have been dubbed, that have uh, embraced every bit of courage and um, genuineness to serve the, uh, the public impacted by this pandemic. Um, and then we uh, had an additional $25 billion for testing, for testing kits that are important. I believe that we need to make certain that we crank up that activity to produce these kits and the, um, the uh, substances, the materials that are required. Congressman uh, Tonko, let's move on to Congresswoman Stefanik now. Okay, thank you. She said $25 billion set aside for virus testing. Now, we're seeing more sites open almost on a daily basis. So how will this money be used for testing specifically? And I guess the question is, everybody wants to get a test, but at this point, not everyone can. So the $25 billion is focused on ramping up our testing capacity immediately. And as Paul Tonko laid out, there's multiple parts of that. So being able to purchase supplies, being able to manufacture testing supplies, being able to purchase chemicals that are used to conduct the test, and also ramping up our lab capacity. What's critical in the $25 billion of testing is $11 billion of that is set aside to go directly to states. And half of that 11 billion is focused on states with the most or the highest number of positive COVID tests. That's important for New York because that means that Congress and the federal government are stepping up to help New York surge our testing capacity. It also is important to note that that funds antibodies testing, which we're seeing those preliminary results. There's a little bit of a difference from downstate and upstate, but that's incredibly important as we map this virus and also as we trace this virus. So an important move in the right direction, and we will see, we absolutely are seeing the immediate increases in testing capacities across the North Country, but across upstate. All right, well, I know that testing will certainly give people uh, some sort of peace of mind as we move forward in this. Now, Governor Cuomo has offered criticism over the lack of federal uh, aid for state and local governments. Initially, he was very critical of the New York delegation, in fact. One week ago, the governor was asked about the stimulus package, and he said, quote, I think it's a terrible mistake not to provide funding for the states. And then yesterday, the governor said, 
fund small business, but also fund police, fire, schools, teachers, and hospital workers because they're the ones who get the money from the state. He said, quote, how can you exclude them when you're talking about priorities? So, Congressman Brindisi, let's shift things to you. In the first round of the stimulus money, there wasn't enough. There wasn't any money for states and local governments. So will future rounds have the money, and do you know if any conditions might be attached to it? Well, well, thank you, Tim. And um, there was actually funding for both state and local governments in, in some of the previous uh, packages that we have passed. Uh, for example, there was $15 billion for unemployment insurance here in New York. There was additional CDBG money. There was money for hospitals uh, and money for other programs as well. But the governor is right. More has to be done for the state. Uh, we're approaching 300,000 cases across the state right now. We have by far the most deaths across uh, the country. And what I worry with uh, us moving forward here in New York State facing something like an $8.5 billion hole because of this pandemic, uh, because we're the epicenter, uh, is that the state is going to be forced to make some very tough decisions. And having served in the state legislature prior to this, I know the areas that they're going to start cutting involve education, which will result in less teachers in our classrooms, as well as health care, which is going to result in less nurses and, and health care professionals uh, taking care of our loved ones. It's also going to result in a cut to uh, the aid to localities. So our counties and our cities and our towns are going to make some tough decisions about cutting back on first responders, police, fire, EMS personnel. Uh, and that's something we don't want to see here across the state. So uh, I know one of my top priorities moving forward into this next uh, uh, stimulus package is to try and assist our, our state here and our local governments, especially local governments with populations under 500,000 people, which is what we are here uh, in many parts of upstate New York. Um, and just like the federal government has been there before in New York's times of need, you know, after 9-11, when, when George W. Bush came down to lower Manhattan and looked at all those first responders and said, we're going to have your back. And we need that kind of leadership right now. Um, not about bailing out states with pension issues, but really focusing on states like New York that okay. have been hardest hit by this pandemic. Congressman Brindisi, thank you very much. Let's shift now to uh, the southern tier of New York with Congressman Reed. Uh, is the governor proper for calling out Congress as he did in the early stages, including the New York delegation uh, for what he said was not supporting state and local government funding enough? Or as some say, was it too early in the stage? Well, I was glad to see my colleague, uh, Congressman Brindisi, recognize that in the prior stimulus uh, money, uh, the uh, phase three program, there was some state aid, there was some money put in there. And I agree with him. And I think you're going to hear a bipartisan refrain tonight from both sides of the aisle that when it comes to state aid and local aid, we're committed to doing this. I've been working on this now for three weeks. Uh, we are committed to making sure the state and the local government gets their aid. There are some uh, issues that are on your radar that we're going to continue to fight for when it comes to local government. Uh, I can assure you that one of the things as a former mayor I'm afraid of, if we get direct local aid to the, to the local governments, I don't want the state capitals to reach in like they traditionally do and reduce those local aid lines that uh, Anthony Brindisi just referenced that they do all the time and reduce those local aid lines in order to uh, offset the benefit to direct local aid. It's kind of a maintenance of efforts type of, of issue. The other so thing what is, would be the option then? Well, the option would be to make sure that the state cannot do that and that the lines of, of assistance to the local government would be protected from reduction so that what goes to the local government, they fully benefit from that because uh, that happens all the time, Tim. Uh, they'll reach in and now with the governor having 90 day authority, for example, in New York State, he could reach into those local lines, reduce the local aid, aid lines of the state budget, and that would put the local governments in devastating positions. Okay. And so we got to protect that as we go forward.
Interesting to hear that. All right, now here's something I know you're all familiar with. A national leader made uh, some headlines this week with uh, one thing he said that bristled a lot of people. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell suggested that state governments like New York file bankruptcy rather than receive federal funding to help with coronavirus expenses. Now we know that since then he's backed off that a little bit. So we're gonna ask this now to both Congressman Katko and Congressman Morelli. Is this a viable idea? Is it even allowed? Uh, would state law prohibit bankruptcy or is this something that is possible? Congressman Katko first. Yeah, well, thank you. And thank you for being here, my colleagues. And I, I hope everyone's well. Um, it, what, what he said, I completely disagree with. And whether or not it's legal, one can argue that point. But the, the, the bottom majority, bottom line is, is that uh, I don't think anyone here on this call agrees with what, with, uh, what Senator McConnell said. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do, and uh, we've got a lot. We've got a lot of work to do together. And this has been a terrible crisis. People have suffered. People have lost loved ones. They haven't even been able to say goodbye to their loved ones. And um, the devastation personally to people, the devastation economically to people, and the state and local governments is real. So I very much agree with what my colleagues have already said. And that is, we need to take care of the county and city governments without, but at the same time, making sure that the state doesn't interfere with that. And so one thing I've suggested that we do is take care of them by making sure that the frontline EMT, fire, police, and healthcare officials are properly compensated for. There's programs we have now that we can do, uh, we can tap into to use, such as a COPS grant, and pay a portion of those funds for a year for those, uh, those local governments to make sure that the services are still there and the state doesn't interfere with those services and doesn't cut other funds to them. And then, and then in a year from now, when they're back on their feet, uh, it'll be back on them. It's a good, simple way to get around mm -hmm. some of the issues we've been discussing about making sure the money gets to the front lines. And the front lines Congress, are Congressman response. Morelli, let me ask you the same question. Is something like a bankruptcy viable? Uh, it's not. But first, let me uh, just thank you, Tim, and Nextar, Channel 8 in Rochester, for doing this, bringing us all together. It's great to be with all my colleagues. Uh, these are difficult times. But I agree with... Uh, my friend uh, John Katko, it's, it's not a viable option. First of all, I think there's serious legal questions. I think there are serious constitutional questions, and I'm glad to see Senate Majority Leader McConnell uh, really start to back away from that. Um, here's the, it, it, I think there are a number of things we need to do. First and foremost, uh, I've introduced with a colleague of mine from the Rules Committee at Perlmutter of Colorado, a significant state um, uh, dollar amount, $330 billion. Others have talked about $500 billion. That has to get done for all the reasons that my colleagues mentioned. I'm a former state legislator. Uh, I served in the state assembly with Anthony and, and uh, Paul and Brian. And uh, we know how critical it is because most of that money goes back to local government. So our school districts, um, all of our local agencies, uh, agencies like Office of uh, People with Developmental Disabilities, all those dollars flow back. The states have huge revenue deficits and the state of New York is projecting over a $10 billion revenue deficit that only results in reductions back to local uh, communities and local organizations. So that's number one. Number two, uh, money that uh, Anthony referenced um, that has already been designated for local governments, we could allow them to use as an allowable expense lost revenue, something we haven't allowed up till now. We have to do that. Uh, and finally, I think we have to make sure, as, um, as uh, Mr. Brindisi also said, we have to make sure that smaller communities uh, get uh, an appropriation as well. So I think we're all committed to that. Yeah. It's really important to do. I think most agree on that. Uh, Congressman Higgins, I'd be curious to hear your viewpoint from out there in Buffalo and uh, Niagara County as well on McConnell's comments about bankruptcy. 
Well, look, this is, uh, you know, this is a great equalizer. Uh, everybody is in this together. Uh, the fact of the matter is a million Americans are infected with COVID-19, which is the disease caused by the coronavirus. 50,000 Americans are dead. And Mitch McConnell is playing this blue state, red state issue as though it's some kind of board game. I think what we need in a time of national crisis is national leadership. The facts are these. New York State is a state with a population of 19 and a half million people. We're a large state with a strong economy. New York State gives $25 billion more to the federal government than it gets back. Kentucky is a nation is a state of 4.5 million people. It's the third most impoverished state in America. Kentucky takes 25 billion more than it gets, it gets back 25 billion more than it, than it uh, gives uh, to the federal government. All right, listen, but, Congressman but Higgins, primar- we've, got to, uh, we've got to leave it there for the time. Department. We've got to get on to Congressman Antonio Delgado with another issue. And I noticed that covering some of the uh, issues that you were advocating in your district was for farmers, anybody involved in agriculture, specifically dairy farmers. And in this latest round, I saw where you really pushed to get them involved in the loan process. How has that worked out so far? And do you think they'll be satisfied with it? Well, it's important to note that my district, uh, New York 19, is the eighth most rural district uh, in the country. Uh, We've got about 5,000 farms, 96% of which are small uh, family-owned farms. And the biggest footprint uh, is dairy. We were able to secure uh, about 9.5% billion dollars of disaster assistance in the CARES Act, the first CARES Act, which we just got word from the USDA, uh, will be implemented in about a month or so. So that's, you know, difficult to hear uh, for our farmers. Um, There will be some uh, direct purchase programs a part of that. There'll be some food assistance programs that are a part of that. Um, But the time is ticking. Uh, They are eligible, our farmers, for the Paycheck Protection Program. But as we know, uh, those funds are running dry quickly. And despite congressional intent uh, to have our farmers be eligible for the economic injury disaster loan, for some time the SBA was not offering that uh, for our uh, our family, for our, all of our farmers. Uh, we advocated. Uh, I led a letter with 86 of my colleagues, bipartisan, uh, to get that changed, and then went ahead in this bill and was able to actually get our farmers eligible for that disaster loan. The problem is that within 24 to 48 hours of learning that our farmers would be eligible for that loan, uh, we were informed by the SBA. Well. You're eligible in theory only um, because the backlog is so significant. Um, okay. We really can't count on you providing uh, those loans or accessing those loans. So Listen, gentlemen and ladies, we've got to take a break. So we'll leave it there and then we'll come back on the other side and open it up to many more issues. Um, we're going to coming up. We're also going to hear what our delegation thinks of the federal plan to reopen America, including two members who are on the task force. First, though, we're going to take a moment and say thank you to our frontline workers who are battling coronavirus. For healthcare workers in the community, just thank you for everything. Everyone, to our congressional town hall in upstate New York. I'm Tim Lake in Albany. Both the Senate and the House return to Washington next week, and the topic, of course, will be another coronavirus relief package for Americans. Congressman uh, Morelli in Rochester, what will your top priority be in this new legislation to get passed in Washington? 
Well, actually, I think it's probably going to be another week on top of it. But clearly, uh, what we've already discussed is is my top priority, which is state and local government funding. So much at stake right there. Uh, I think longer term, my interests are, and I think many people here would agree that if we're going to start to re uh, emerge from this, we're going to have to have some stimulative effects. So I think an infrastructure bill, which will have significant impacts, not only on our transportation system, but I'd like to see us address broadband. We've seen both in healthcare, where we're looking to do more telemedicine and telehealth, and when it comes to education, the digital divide is extraordinary. And we have so many people, both in urban settings and rural settings, who really just don't have access to broadband. So I'm hopeful that those will be some of the things that we'll start to look at as we go back to work, as we try to resume some form of normalcy, but take some real learnings from what has happened over the last seven or eight weeks and really prepare for the future. I think your issue about broadband is so important. I have family all over the state, and I hear reports of situations where people just can't get the access. All right, Congressman Tom Reed now in the Southern Tier. Um, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi last night said it might be time to talk about this concept of a guaranteed income, given that some 26 million Americans are out of work. It's just an astronomical number. It's hard to wrap around. Do you agree with any part of that? Well, uh, obviously, I disagree with that. I, I don't think uh, universal income is not going to be sustainable. And and given the nature of a crisis, to, to change uh, America in that substantive way, utilizing the, the, the crisis as a background, uh, is not, to me, the time to uh, do that, nor do I support that. I support work. I support the concept of hard work. I support the idea that if you think government can provide relief from you, the grave, uh, that is a fundamental disagreement that I have. And universal income is of that ill. And it's just not sustainable. And also, we should, as we go forward, when we talk about workers, we're dropping a bill uh, to reward the work ethic of Americans today, the ones that have received a paycheck and stayed on the front line, those healthcare workers they're talking about. I believe they deserve an economic in, uh, impact uh, check themselves for being in that position of work. And so my colleagues, I look forward to joining with them to send the message to those folks that stayed there and received the paycheck and stayed in a work position and served us during this time. Uh, I am all about giving them a bonus uh, for that American work ethic that they demonstrated. Good point. Congressman Delgado, let me ask you about this. And it's something for all of you to think about because you have to head back to Washington. The New York <clears throat> has not been meeting in person, but yet you're going back to Washington. Is it safe? Do all of you feel safe there? And let's have Congressman Delgado give us his a, a viewpoint on this. The question is, is it safe in Washington, you're asking? Yes, for you, for you all to go back there and get together and discuss and caucus and, and talk about these issues and be close to one another. How do you feel about that? Well, I think it's important that we first and foremost figure out how to make sure we're able to do the work of the people as effectively and efficiently as possible. Uh, we have technology. Uh, we do live in the 21st century. Um, and we are able, as displayed here this evening, uh, to do some pretty extraordinary things uh, with the technology that we have. So uh, we'd be wise to consider how to implement that technology for the betterment of the whole uh, and to act as efficiently and as effective as possible. Uh, I think it's a little bit inconsistent uh, to suggest to folks out there in the public uh, to abide by self-isolation, social distancing, um, and make sure we flatten the curve, uh, and then to turn around and put ourselves in a position where you have uh, hundreds of members uh, gathering um, to conduct business when they might not necessarily do that, and they could do it from their home virtually. So uh, it is a challenge, like anything, um, it's gonna require some thought, um, and it is a, a change in conduct and in tradition to some extent, which as you might imagine, 
uh, takes some uh, will as well. So right. I I'm think curious to hear, is everyone returning to Washington? Show of hands if no one is going back. So you so you all will. Well, they canceled. They canceled bringing us back next week. So we won't yeah. be going back. They go down. Yeah, we'll be there. <laughs> Be there. OK. OK, great. Thank you very much. All right. Now, the president has organized the um, opening up America again congressional group. So here's how it breaks down. In the House, there are 22 Republicans and 10 Democrats. And in the Senate, there are 51 Republicans, 13 Democrats and one independent. Representatives Katko and Stefanik are both members of the group. Uh, how are you balancing the needs of your constituents with a plan for states that have not seen as big of an impact from the virus. Let's start with Congressman Katko. Well, first of all, uh, I applaud the president for making it a bipartisan task force. And I'm very honored, like I'm sure Elisa is, to be on it. And to working with my colleagues on both sides of the aisle is very important. Uh, I view my role in the task force as looking out for the interests of my constituents in my district and hearing the voice of what's going on in upstate New York. Because it's very different than what's going on in New York City, and it's very different than what's going on in other parts of the country. And the president is very plugged into this, and he asked for input from us. And I sent a paper to the president yesterday uh, outlining my concerns. Two things. One is, what does the short-term things need to do, and then longer-term things? Short-term, we need to have great testing, and we need to have it everywhere. We want to reopen the economy. We have to have it. We may have to have the contact tracing going right away. Longer term, we need to propose things that are going to uh, restart the economy. But one of those things, obviously, is taking care of the frontline workers for the next year, but also peeking around the corner, like Congressman Morelli talked about, and having a good uh, package, uh, infrastructure package for rural broadband and highway. And one of the unique things I want to re recommend for upstate New York is that they expand the opportunity zone for tax breaks for upstate New York just for manufacturing and call centers. Bring those businesses back from overseas especially from China, so that we're not so vulnerable if there's, if there's another outbreak to China for pharmaceutical production, PPE production, those types of things. We need the jobs in upstate New York. Opportunities that can help us present that. Thank you very much, Congress. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Congressman Katko, let's uh, switch over to you, Congresswoman Stefanik. Um, what are you hearing about people? I know in your district, because that's my hometown originally, people want to get reopened. They want to get back to work. And a unique situation for you and also Congressman Higgins is you're on the border. They want the border reopened. 
Absolutely. So, Tim, you point out that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, and there are different concerns, even within New York State. I view my role in the task force as the North Country having a seat at the table. So I've raised northern border issues with the president, and I want to note these are bipartisan issues. I serve as the Northern Border Caucus co-chair with Brian Higgins, a fellow New Yorker, and so much of the manufacturing supply chain in my district is dependent upon that U.S.-Canadian trade. I've also raised dairy issues, and I've worked very closely with other folks on this call, especially Congressman Delgado and Congressman Brindisi and Congressman Patco and Reed, who have a lot of dairy in their district as well, to make sure that we're providing dairy relief. Um, I, I also think the fact that the president has really delegated the decision-making to the governors was a strong decision. This regional approach, which Governor Cuomo has embraced, is the right approach. But Catco hits the nail on the head that what is universally important is testing and making sure that we have the testing capacity in upstate as well as downstate. Congressman Higgins, let's hear what you say about this. And let's, let's uh, pull out a scenario. You're in Niagara County. Let's say that you're able to open Niagara County in the falls through the summer, but downstate is still closed. Would that not cause an issue if everybody said, let's go to Niagara Falls? Yeah, of, of course it, it would. Uh, you know, the first first thing is we have to deal with this public health crisis. And if we don't, we're going to have a second and potentially third wave of this. Remember that the influenza of 1918 actually started in December of 1917 and ended in 1920. Uh, there were three waves of it. And I think we have to assure that this thing is contained and abated before we open up the economy. Everybody wants the economy to open up. But the fact of the matter is if we don't do this right, we will be back uh, to where we were six weeks ago and, and nobody wants to go back there. So I think first and foremost, let's listen to the public health experts. Uh, mm -hmm. Secondly, we should have been prepared for this. And I'm not talking about this administration or the last administration. I'm talking about the last three administrations. The World Health Organization in 2003 declared that the, uh, that the SARS, uh, severe acute respiratory syndrome, was caused by the coronavirus. And we have had uh, two outbreaks, three outbreaks actually now in the last two decades. We have to put funding into the National Institutes of Health for effective treatments and for a vaccine to avoid this pandemic. The fact of the matter is we don't have those things right now. And our fragile healthcare system is forced to provide what's referred to as support services uh, to victims of COVID-19 because there are no treatments and there are no vaccines. And when you do medical research toward developing uh, treatments and uh, vaccines, uh, that process is many years in many cases, many decades. And I just get concerned when folks talk about we're going to have a vaccine within a few months or a year. That's probably not going to happen. And I think we should level with the American people. Congressman Higgins, thank you. Let's shift now to uh, Congressman Paul Tonko from the Capital Region and help us understand here in upstate what's the next process of when you'll be back in, in, in Washington what you'll be voting on, how long it might take, and what might be in there to help all of us. Sure. Uh, Tim, we'll probably be back in uh, early to uh, mid-May. As you heard, next week is canceled. But uh, I think there are a number of issues to iron out. Obviously, there's been this whole issue of um, state and local governments and school systems getting funded uh, from Washington. I think that's very important. We need to have a maintenance of effort uh, clause included. We need to have... Uh, 
um, the human infrastructure addressed, as we've heard tonight, police and sheriff patrols and, and firefighters and teachers and human and health services uh, personnel that will deliver quality of life services that are essential in this whole epidemic pandemic. So it's important to get all of that funding done through the local and state government and school route. Um, and also reporting requirements. I think they should be stronger in law. So as we do this Nest Pass package, we'll know where those dollars are going. I just recently read where uh, 1.5 billion of the first $50 billion worth of hospital aid has been released to New York. Of that 50, 1.5, that's 3%. For the state that's been the epicenter of this pandemic, where we've had one third of the deaths, where we have 30% of the cases of uh, COVID-19, COVID something is, you know, and when you contrast that with Texas and Florida and Ohio, we pale in comparison. So we need reporting requirements. We need uh, to iron out these uh, needs for county and local and state governments and our school systems and quit the blue state, red state rhetoric. We're in this as one nation. We need to resolve this and make certain that we invest further in this next iteration in testing kits, in the testing materials like swabs, and in the uh, personal protective equipment, including masks. We as a nation should be able to deliver. Congressman Tonko, thank you very much. Now, uh, Congressman Brindisi in central New York, I'd be curious to hear what you think about how we can put measures in place to make sure this next round of funding gets to the right people for whom you appropriate it. Well, I think that's uh, uh, a good point. Congressman Tonko brings up a number of good issues. I, I think what we did in this last stimulus package uh, really goes a long way by setting aside funding to make sure that smaller lending institutions, uh, community banks, um, uh, credit unions are, are, are able to access funding because they're the ones who work with the small mom and pops, the farmers, uh, those in the community who uh, may not be the first in line to go to a bank to get a loan uh, from the government. So we have to make sure that uh, when we appropriate money, we're appropriating to the right places. Uh, I've been very concerned about the Small Business Administration and how the funding has rolled out over the last uh, couple packages here. We've seen that uh, a lot of the PPP funding, the Paycheck Protection Program, has gone to uh, other states. In fact, New York is, is uh, second to last in terms of the number of PPP loans that have been handed out, uh, where Texas is number one. Uh, we have doubled the unemployment uh, right now that Texas does. And New York is the epicenter of this pandemic. So uh, the, the intention of Congress is not being followed through right now by the Small Business Administration and Treasury. And we have to make sure that that happens. That can be accomplished through greater oversight uh, in Congress. And there are uh, committees established to provide oversight. But we also have to be wise here that we, when we appropriate funding, uh, we have to put more restrictions in place to make sure that funding is getting to the places that need it the most. Uh, whether it's New York or other hotspots around the country, uh, that's where the funding should be directed towards. And that's where Congress can play a role in making sure the money gets there. Yes, good point. I'm hearing that from people all over the state. All right, we're going to take another short break here in our congressional uh, COVID-19 town hall. And we're going to come back with questions from our upstate New York viewers. But we're first going to leave you with another tribute, thanking the men and the women who are tackling COVID-19. And they're here all the time for us. They deserve recognition. They wake up every day, come in, and they care for the people. Nurses right next to highly infectious patients. They know they're taking a risk. Really courageous. I mean, just grit.
And welcome back, everyone, to our congressional town hall, hosting eight members of New York State's congressional delegation via Zoom. And of course, safe social distancing. We've been asking for your questions to join us in our town hall. They have ranged from health concerns to reopening the economy and also those stimulus checks. So uh, beginning to the capital region now for Congressman Antonio Delgado, rural and farm country, small towns and small businesses. So the question we have, uh, Mr. Delgado, Jim wants to know, is there enough money in small business loan programs to help the average small business owner in the Catskills? And what about economic hardships to people uh, and disaster loans? The short answer is there's not enough. Um, you know, we try to replenish the PPP fund um, and we'll not try, we, we did so uh, in the interim 3.5 bill. Um, and we're already getting uh, reports from folks um, that they're being told uh, they're gonna bump up against some issues as far as accessing the funds. I do know that uh, folks in my district, I was on the phone with um, individuals working at um, uh, the Green County Bank um, who have provided these loans uh, to folks in our community. So I know that folks in our communities are accessing these loans to some extent, our small business owners. But as alluded to earlier, uh, the fact of the matter is there's some issues with who's been able to also access these loans. Uh, some of the publicly traded companies, um, restaurants that have chains where they have locations with less than 500 um, uh, employees, but they have hundreds of locations. You can see where that's going to go. So, you know, the fact that we weren't thinking ahead of this to make sure that we're uh, properly protecting and targeting the funds to where they ought to go and where the need is the most is something we must continue to work on. We did set aside $60 billion um, to make sure that we have uh, underbanked communities, including rural communities, have a set aside uh, to access these funds to make sure that um, our small business owners, our average, you know, mom and pop stores that are the backbone of our community here uh, in the Hudson Valley and the Catskills, um, are really provide that relief. And that's something that we're going to keep focusing on moving forward. Thank you very much, Mr. Delgado. Let's now to send our next question from our viewers out to uh, Congressman Brian Higgins in the 26th District. So, Mr. Higgins, uh, Jim McAvoy is asking, how and when are the funds going to be released to the people qualified for the CARE Act for those whose jobs were lost or who could not start because of the shutdown? Not quickly enough. I mean, there was a massive uh, infusion of money going out to the economy within a three-week period, uh, which was highly imperfect. There's no uh, playbook for this. Uh, we have to continue to be persistent and find ways to uh, more efficiently get uh, what we all want, and that is money in the hands of people that will spend it to stave off what will likely be a, a, a long uh, period of economic contraction. There's Nobody has an incentive to delay uh, this money to who it's intended for. Uh, but, you know, one example, the unemployment piece. I mean, that was, I don't know if it could have been done more efficiently, maybe directly to businesses that guarantee their payroll, that pay payroll taxes. But when you, you know, tell 6 million people to go to the, uh, the unemployment uh, offices in the state, all the systems crashed, which defeated the purpose of getting money into the hands of people as quickly as possible. So look, as I said, no playbook. Uh, this is trial and error, and we're going to just have to continue to try to be better, uh, continuous improvement, because there's a lot of frustration out there. But there's, again, no incentive to try to withhold that money. We want people to have it, to spend it, to create demand in the economy so that the economy, once this public health crisis is abated, can grow again. 
Congressman Higgins, thank you very much. And uh, now we're going to move to the 25th district with Congressman Joe Morelli in the Rochester area. And uh, Congressman Dave from the Rochester area wants to know if there has been any discussion about keeping the elderly and at-risk population in self-isolation while allowing the majority of people to return to work, of course, with guidelines. I don't know if this is a federal issue, but you may be able to help him out a little bit on this. Well, it's a great question, Dave. I think it's one that we're all grappling with. Um, you know, it's important to remember each region is different. A number of my colleagues have mentioned it, uh, and different regions have been hit differently. And so we have to bear that in mind as we're starting to reopen as people are going back to work. Um, and clearly, I think all of us understand that there are, things are going to be different. And I don't mean just in the next few months, but the way we live our lives is likely to be different than it has been in the past. We're certainly now very much aware that these viruses aren't just in uh, Asia, aren't just in the Middle East, as the two previous epidemics have been. This is here on, uh, on American soil, and we have to think differently about it. I think people will, particularly the elderly, I think particularly the vulnerable um, who have compromised immune systems will deal with this differently. You know, if you're somebody like me who's, uh, you know, a, a big hugger and kisser, this has been terrible, this isolation. I didn't get <laughs> my colleagues, um, but I know life is different. We'll all adapt uh, and we'll make sure that we keep people safe. I mean, I think even as we're starting to reopen, making certain that people are safe has got to be our top priority from a healthcare perspective. You know, the 17,000 New Yorkers who've lost their lives um, these aren't just statistics. I mean, these are people who in many cases couldn't be with loved ones when they passed away, um, who haven't been able to grieve them in the way that uh, we all would like to do. Um, and this has had a profound impact. So we have to bear that in mind and make sure that our most vulnerable populations are still, uh, still safe as we begin to uh, head back to some form of normalcy. All right, Mr. Morelli, thank you very much. Now, the next two questions we got from viewers are similar, but they may come from frustrated viewers who are struggling to make ends meet. So the first one will be for Congressman Tom Reed there in the Southern Tier. This is Mark from Elmira who says federal workers, including Congress, should accept pay cuts or pay trimmed to uh, help balance the loss in the anticipated government revenues. How much, he is asking, would you be willing to sacrifice and have you taken any pay cuts yourself? Well, I appreciate that, and I, I understand the, the frustration that uh, Mark is uh, saying, and I, I think we're all in this together. And so if that's uh, something to be considered and proposed, I'm open to it. Uh, but I think what we also need to recognize is that we are united in our efforts to get through this. And we're united as Democrats and Republicans. If you look at phase one, two, and three, uh, those are huge bipartisan uh, votes uh, that have come together to stand with the American workers and the American people. And if you look at what we did in the Paycheck Protection Program, that was to protect paychecks. And it's not to go to businesses per se, it's to keep those businesses stable so that those workers receive those checks that go into their checking accounts. That's why we also bumped up the, the federal <clears throat> unemployment, $600, is recognizing that people are going to get laid off and that that resource would be readily available to them in regards to the unemployment situation. And we got 13 weeks till July 31st uh, to deal with that going forward. So this is about getting people back to work, in my humble opinion. And if we unite in that effort, then we all win. We get through this natural disaster. Because, Tim, remember, this virus was caused by Mother Nature. This wasn't caused by a person. And this is, to me, akin to a natural disaster like a tornado or a hurricane going through the entire country, hitting all $22 trillion of the U.S. economy. And the best thing we can do to solve this problem is put people back to work, do it safe, do it safe enough, and use the innovation and the energy of the American people to lead us through this. 
All right, a similar question for Congressman Paul Tonko. It's very pointed. Um, it's from Richard Ashton, and he's saying it is very, uh, he's very directly speaking to the struggles of people sorting out their finances right now. And as you know, there are a lot of them. So he's asking, quote, when are you going to take a pay cut and learn to survive this like the rest of us, Congressman Tonko? Well, I'm certain, Tim, that Richard understands that the uh, uh, pay uh, or salary issue of the president and Congress is determined by the Constitution and that you could not adjust. We cannot adjust the salary in the middle of a session. Um, so I'm sure he understands that. But let me just make it clear that, you know, everyone here, I'm sure all of my colleagues, at least on this call and on this Zoom uh, uh, offering, um, are working seven days a week, as are our co-workers who do the outreach. Hundreds of, of calls from businesses that we have fielded and directed, an historic amount of emails and, and letters coming in that we're responding to. The whole theme here, the whole effort has been to make America whole, to make New York whole. So we're going to continue to work to make certain that we navigate individuals through that process so that retirees, for instance, will get their stimulus check. Businesses won't shut their doors. Workers will have their paychecks secured. Unemployed will get uh, reimbursement. These are the thematics to keep America whole, to keep the economy whole. This is about being in this together and doing our very best to make a difference so that um, the economy does not continue to spiral downward and that um, we conquer this uh, pandemic. I think those are the missions here, and we're going to stick uh, uh, to that effort to make a difference. I think I should mention for the benefit of our viewers, and correct me if I'm wrong, but any type of a pay cut for one or two of you would have to involve the entire Congress, and it would have to be a full vote. So it's, it's it not can't something be done as easy during... as saying an employer is going to cut your pay, is it? And it can't be done during a session in which we're seated. So, okay. um, you know, we're going to do everything we can to turn this Understood. economy around. All right. Next for Congressman Katko in central New York. And this question is coming from Merton Joseph asking about the New York delegation all working together. And I think I've already pointed out that this has been a very bipartisan group already. He's asking specifically for Republicans, where is the line where advocating for the state overshadows party platform? And this again is for Congressman Katko. Well, thank you. And, you know, uh, since this pandemic started and we've all been uh, sent home and working from our homes, homes 12, 14, 16 hours a day, we engage people from our districts, uh, all of us. And I think I speak for all of us when I say, whether it's a person who you talk to on a telephone who has just lost his wife uh, to the COVID virus, or whether it's a frontline worker trying to get PPE so they're not afraid to go back to work, or whether it's a business that's, that's sucking wind and trying to just keep its feet on the ground and surviving. Not one of them has told me or talked about politics at all. They couldn't give a darn less about politics and where the lines are. And either can anybody else on this, this call and this, this Zoom tonight. No, nobody cares about that. What we care about is working together, like you've heard tonight, putting down the swords and helping America get through this tough time. We've got to get the uh, folks back to work. We've got to do it in a safe manner. And the testing is going to be key for that. And as for me, uh, I came to Congress to be a bipartisan person. And I co-sponsored, I think, about 200, uh, 300, over 300 bills this term. Over 230 of them are from Democrats, uh, sponsored bills. So I put my money where my mouth is every day. Uh, Congressman Brindisi and, and, and Congressman Morelli and myself are like the three amigos up on Lake Ontario fighting against the water right the water issues up there. And I don't care what party they're in. 
I just care that they care about the same thing I do. And I think I speak for everyone here that you'd be surprised much bipartisanship is going on right now. And that's what I'm all about. And that's what most of my colleagues are about in Congress. You just don't hear about it in the news. But we work together every day and we're darn proud of it. Well, I beg to differ. When I get your press releases, it's always good to see all of your names together and that you're working That's in a right. partnership uh, fashion. All right, North Country now with Representative Stefanik, and this follows in the concept of party lines as well. Jake Savilli of Queensbury would like to know why, as he says, you are mirroring the president's stance to open up states despite New York losing the most lives and against expert medical advice. And that's from Jake. Well, I appreciate the question. What I've tried to do is work in a collaborative approach. So I think where the president has been right is really deferring to the governors and stepping up for the needs of New York State. The fact that this administration has committed to doubling our testing capacity. The fact that the CDC has issued guidance based upon public health to let the states and regions determine that timeline. And I, again, I'm glad to see that the governor in our own state has broken us up into regions because we each face different needs. And I want I want to echo uh, my colleague John Katko's comments. Every single member on this Zoom, as I look at their faces, I've worked with and we have all worked together on a variety of issues, whether they're regional issues or national issues. And we are working together as upstate New Yorkers to make sure that our testing capacity, our small business and economic growth in the future, balanced with public health needs, that we, we hit the right tenor. And I just think that's important for viewers to know that this is when politics are set aside because we will get through this together. Thank you very much, uh, Congresswoman Stefanik. All right, now let's shift to uh, Congressman Anthony Brindisi. And this question comes from uh, Alex in Clinton, New York. With all of this economic stimulus relief being shelled out, has any mention been made to possibly help our children with student loan debt? For example, wipe away, he says, all the debt with part of the, another stimulus package to help our children start over once again. And I guess he's talking about college debts, Congressman Brindisi. Well, Alex touches on a, a very important point, uh, student loan debt, which is now the, the second largest consumer debt in our entire country, $1.4 trillion. Uh, takes on average 20 years or more for a student to be able to repay their loans. And there has been efforts within the uh, coronavirus response bills that we have passed to try and help alleviate some of the burden on students because folks who are out of work and certainly don't have uh, paychecks coming in, coming in cannot be expected to keep up with loans like they were before. So what we did is we put money into the, uh, the CARES Act to uh, help higher uh, institutions of higher education. In fact, I announced about $42 million coming to the, uh, the higher ed education institutions within my district. Half of that has to go towards direct aid to students. Um, we've also, in the CARES Act, uh, it, it included an automatic suspension of payments on federally held student loans through September 30th. But as we move forward here into uh, additional aid packages, we have to look at the student loan crisis. And there's a, gr a number of great ideas out there. I know Mr. Katko, I have a, he has a bill that I'm co-sponsoring with him to allow uh, debts to be discharged in bankruptcy. Uh, Congresswoman Stefanik's done, done a number of uh, good good uh, work on, on the issue of student loan debt. Um, and I think one of the things that you're going to see as a result of uh, uh, this pandemic is you're going to see a lot of uh, push for manufacturing to come back to this country. Uh, we're, we're seeing all kinds of issues with supply chain right now. And I think you're going to see a push to bring manufacturing back. 
that's going to require a lot of skills that are traditionally taught through apprenticeship programs and two-year schools that don't re uh, lead to a lot of college debt. And we're going to need workers to fill those manufacturing jobs. So that's something I've always pushed for is in, in my tenure in public service and something I think can help uh, address the student loan crisis. Listen, thank you very much, Mr. Mardisi. Now, we have about a minute and a half here in, in our program. And because New York is kind of unique in that we share the border with Canada and the border has essentially been closed and we have tourism season coming up, I want to ask this of uh, Mr. Higgins and, and Ms. Stefanik. Can you foresee that the border is going to be open in time so the Thousand Islands, the Buffalo area, so people can cross back and forth? And I don't mean our truck drivers and our medical and health professionals. Can you see this happening sometime fairly soon in time for the summer season? Let's start with you, Ms. Stefanik. Well, I think public health data is going to drive those decisions. And I also think conversations between the two countries are critically important. We do that on a regional basis, but it's going to have to be done at a federal level. You know, we get often asked about a date certain. And I think, again, you have to look at public data over time uh, when it comes to a percentage of positive cases, when it comes to hospitalization rates. So I think this, this underlies uh, or emphasizes the importance of that cross-border collaboration that we have both in the Northern mm -hmm. Border Caucus, but just working with Canadians in general as our largest trading partner. Mr. Higgins, how about you? Uh, crossing the Peace Bridge and there in Niagara Falls, are we going to see that pick up fairly soon? Big piece of getting this economy back on track is opening up the borders. Uh, we have 38 million people in Canada. It's a $2 trillion economy. Uh, 12 million or one third of the entire country's population lives in southern Ontario. That's very important to my district in Niagara Falls and Buffalo. Uh, but as Elise right. said, you know, we have to follow dictates. Of Listen, we're about out of time. We've got to wrap things up. I, I appreciate your time. And that's going to wrap up our hour of television here in our COVID-19 congressional session, speaking with our digital broadcast as well. If you'd like to join us uh, over there on your local Next Star station, you can find that on their website. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.